I'm good to go. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. I'm feeling good. You look good, bro. Thank you. All right. Welcome to the Maine and Hastings podcast. I'm Jamie Jusper with Zach Menace and Big Germ. Hello. And we have a great guest today. He's a friend of the Maine and Hastings crew. He's happy. What's up, man? Hey, I'm feeling good. How are you doing? Doing good, man. It's good to see you guys. It's yeah. so good to see you. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been a minute. I'm yeah. happy to see you for a few reasons, man. Happy because, I mean, we've, we know each other for so long, and it's, mm-hmm. it's great seeing old friends, especially at a time where you don't get to see your friends very often. And as well, because of, to have you on as a guest of the podcast is something that we've been trying to do forever. So yeah, having this finally happening, I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Me yeah, too. yeah, we've been trying to make this happen since the early episodes. Yeah, exactly. Way back, way back. When yeah. we were first shooting the stuff at Oppenheimer. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Speaking of Oppenheimer, yeah. what are you doing with your life right now? Well, I just took a month off to try to like put my mind back together because for the last from January through September, I was uh, working on a contract on behalf of the provincial government uh, to uh, to lead outreach, enhanced outreach in Oppenheimer Park which then became Crab Park, which then became Strathcona. Yeah, well, so were you there for the transition from park to park to park? Yep, yep, I was there. I was there. So I, uh, my uh, work partner and I, uh, Patrick and I, uh, led the decampment of Oppenheimer, and we housed uh, almost 300 people in that effort. Um, and then, uh, like, the next day, there was another encampment in okay, Crab so- Park. So the 300 people that you guys housed, how many people were actually in Oppenheimer Park before you moved them? I'd say probably over 200. And then there's like another close to, so it's like, I think the actual number is like 274. Okay. And so then there's also vulnerable people from the adjacent area were also considered and included in, in that housing effort. But everybody who was living in Oppenheimer Park um, our intention was to house everyone who was living there. There were a couple people who got missed. Yeah, because I was under the impression there were some people that didn't want to go, that didn't want to get housed or whatever. Uh, that is, That was in the first attempt to house people, which was in the, the previous summer, so summer 2019, there were a number of people who said, if you want to put me in a bed, bed bug infested SRO, forget about it. I'm going to stay here. If you want to put me in a building with a bunch of people I don't know, I'm going to stay here with my family. Right. So I can see how the, the, it's different when people phrase it as like, I don't want to go get a home versus like all of those things. You go, oh, okay. You can kind of right, yes. understand. It's, it's, because the media doesn't portray it that no, way. No, they don't. They just say, I'm refusing to leave. Yeah. It's like, right. Yeah. Right. Before we get too thick into the weeds of things, for people who don't know you and the situation in Vancouver, who are you happy and what do you do? Like, yeah, so my name's Happy Crater, and I am uh, a chaplain and spiritual caregiver uh, primarily, um, which is like omni-faith, non-religious, uh, radically inclusive. We all have a need to understand our lives as meaningful, and I'm there to nurture the heart and the spirit. For radically for, inclusive is such a cool. Yeah, that is a cool thing, term, right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I think that's actually like the that's why we have this component of ourselves that we call spiritual, um, perhaps for lack of a better word, depending on your orientation. But it's because um, 
as social creatures, we have a need to feel included. And people who are uh, street entrenched often have never felt included, first in their family of origin, and second of all, in society in, in general. In the community, yeah. Right. So, you're, um, so when you say radically inclusive, I'm assuming basically you mean it doesn't matter your race, religion, LGBTQ, what, yes. doesn't matter drug inflicted, right. whatever it is, Criminal you're welcome. History. Yeah. That, yeah. Exactly right. So, okay. and that's why I also say non-religious. Although I might also say pan-religious, but I also want to include atheists, right? Because I love atheists. I I I considered myself an atheist for like twenty-five or thirty years of my life, and that's maybe not the most apt term for me now, but um, but it's like it's an it's an incredible uh, philosophy and way of living, and also there's it's like most of us now. Right. Yeah. Um, but we still have a need for purpose and meaning and and connection with one another that that spirituality and spiritual traditions traditionally provide for us. Um, so this is so when I say radically inclusive, yes, it's absolutely anybody come as you are. What I believe is that like I believe in people. Right. I believe that people are awesome, creative forces and who you say you are and who you want to be. That is, that's awesome. That's divine. That's and dope that you found that passion to do that. And then you, you take that passion and you put it in the downtown east side. Yeah, well, I was already working in the downtown east side as a mental health worker. And the, the, the chaplain for our organization, PHS Community Services, was retiring. Okay. And he's a Christian guy. But he asked me to be his successor, even knowing that I'm not religious per se. Okay. So, which is very cool. And it's funny because when he asked me, because we had a relationship over the years and we talk about spirituality and I'd say, oh, here's what I like about Buddhism and here's what I like about Christianity and maybe even here's what I like about atheist philosophy, right? For me, it's just like, this is a smorgasbord of ideas. I don't need to eat just one plate. Like there's good stuff everywhere. Right. And, um, and most religions and spiritual things, um, are generally good. They all they they all seem to have the well, they common. they start in a good place. Yeah, they all have the common thing of higher power mm -hmm. and uh, you know don't kill anybody and you know that you know all these mm -hmm. sort of fundamentals that yeah. seem to relate to each other with a different path. Yes, right. I, I think so too because and actually this is interesting from psychologically, which is that. Um, you know, there are mythological archetypes across religions. Um, and also, we people spontaneously dream these archetypes. Like, we have on board character archetypes and narratives that we have evolved to guide us. And they show up in, in the forms of the story of Jesus, the story of Buddha, and even, like, Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter do this, too. Right. So... Uh, so, and yes, like in their essence, I think all of these teachings and traditions are pointing us to something and it has, it has to do with love and community and like something kind of bigger than just being an individual thing in a body. Um, and then what, you know, and then obviously it can be perverted because people start to mistake the, the, the sign or like the Buddhists say, the hand pointing to the moon is not the moon. But often religion is just concerned with, are you pointing in the right direction instead of what's beyond that? Mm -hmm. So I, my attempt, I think in the 21st century, like we're moving steadily into a sort of a post-religious culture, but we have evolved with a spiritual need. So I'm really interested in how do we meet 
that as intelligent, unique, creative, individual people who love our traditions or maybe reject them, but we got to do it all together. Fuck your deep, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I mean, and if anybody who doesn't know you uh, are going, oh, this, this guy is. No, that, you know? that's what I'm trying to take it back and be like, who is happy? But so if you know happy, know. exactly, you know that this is par for the course, and <laughs> no, no. you know, generally just a good dude. Uh, so, thank you, man. Okay, so that. and so, what is your sort of role down there with? So you basically help getting people into homes mm-hmm. and uh, trying to just basically help with the, with the common good of what's going on? Yeah, in general. So there's the, the so a battle is fought on many fronts, right? Because people are dealing with poverty, homelessness, um, addiction a lot, and, and, and then sort of the dysfunction that comes with that. But it's all rooted usually in, in it's all rooted in some kind of pain. People right. are dealing with some type of pain. Often it's trauma from their childhood. Um, And so my job as the chaplain, as a spiritual caregiver, is to is to develop relationships with people. I mean, that's really actually where we heal is in relationship. And when you are a child and you have suffered abuse or trauma or something, sometimes your ability to form relationships gets fractured and your relationships are maybe not that good or it's hard to maintain them. So I, I want to show up and be like a consistent and, and, and reliable person who actually, whoever I'm sitting with, I just see you as like, Zach, you're awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I see that there's a light shining in you and it's beautiful. And when you it makes do me that, feel good as he says that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and when you, you pick me, <laughs> and, and, and when you do that, um, when you when you see somebody that way, they know it. Right. They know it. You, I, you, I, I, I can I attest to that hundred percent. You can't you can't you can't bullshit that. Right. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to understand is so you build this relationship with the person, sort of to um, gain some trust that what you say you're going to do, you're actually going to do, and they can believe what you're telling them. And, yeah, you know, part, sort of like a liaison yes, to the government, sort of. Well, partly. So on. So that's my primary role as a spiritual caregiver. But what I've been doing a lot this year, in addition, is this outreach, this housing outreach. Okay. So I started in housing, and I moved into spiritual care, and I went back to housing for kind of this special mission. And for our listeners' sake, so they understand, like uh, uh, Talon's been on the show before, uh, and uh, we, we, yeah, we talk a lot about PHS and her work, and, and just being in being in the uh, uh, in the hotel. So she's an awesome, tough, smart. One hundred percent. She's wow. just she's getting back into work now. She was at she's been at Woodward the past little bit, nice. but um, so she's so w- with with that in mind, you 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 started in housing in that just just helping mm-hmm. out in within the hotels amongst Vancouver yeah yeah in the SROs the social housing projects I started off as a home support worker which was really like a great test of my kind of heart for the work because it's often disgusting um, you know like people take people let people know what a day is uh, is like for a second yeah well okay so at, well, I mean depending on your role, but I'll talk about home support because that's where I cut my teeth, but it's actually helping people whose functioning is so compromised that they can't keep their home in a humane condition. And this could be because, you know, like the place is filled with garbage, used needles, 
feces, vomit, any number of things. There's hoarding uh, uh, issues. So for people who are dealing, again, with mental health uh, problems, addiction, whatever, um, it often like their ability to care for themselves is, has been severely compromised. So and you're way, in, you're going into these homes and you're, yeah. So you're going okay. into like a, a bachelor suite, a small bachelor suite. To, An SRO is single room occupancy. Yeah. Sort of. So, right. And, and, and in this case, these rooms uh, had their own bathrooms, which I would also clean. And, but you're going into, into these rooms, like into somebody's home, right. Who's protective of their home. Um, Even no matter how fucked up it is. This is my space. Right. And this is like, I, and I'm a person with dignity. Right. And, and, you know, and you're coming in to clean up my stuff and you're telling me I got to throw away what you're calling this garbage. This is treasure. You know, and so it's it's a delicate relationship that you build. And, you know, I, and I have uh, had to clean up like lots of human messes of, of all variety. And so this is like, this was a real test of like, for me, uh, am I cut out for this? And some, in some cases, like, how am I going to do this? So it, I, there's one guy who is really special to me. He's, he's passed away now as so many of, of my loved ones in that community are. Um, and he was, he actually had been housed at Riverview, which is a, was a, a psychological. We've talked about that place on yeah. the show before and that was, and, it closed down and, and, the streets are filled with a lot of right. former patients yeah. of that hospital. Right. So, and he was one of those guys. And so he ended up on the streets uh, and then in social housing. And he was, he was, uh, he was really unable to keep his, his room in a, in a condition that suited a human being. And, and, it, and there was, there vomit in the sink always every week, the sink full of vomit uh, and feces in his bathroom, around his bathroom, on his window, in his bed sometimes. And this was, uh, this was, and so actually like going to clean this room to the best of my ability was a challenge. And the, I, I, the, the, the exercise that I created for myself was to take on cleaning his room uh, the first thing I did to start my week on Monday. And Nothing can be worse than that. <laughs> from the- is that sort of your thought process? If I can get through that, I, the rest of the stuff won't be as hard on me mentally. Yeah, okay. yeah, partly. And you beat it also, the game on hard first, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it set me up for my week too, because I, I would say like, okay, because there, at no point did I ever feel like going to do that job. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but uh, the game I played with myself was: can if, if this guy was my brother, my actual blood brother and there was no one else to take care of him could i clean his room for an hour a week so that he doesn't have to sleep in his own feces and i for sure for my for my family my blood no question so then the game is can i love this guy like a brother for one hour a week okay let's go and i found and i found that i could and it kind of and it, and it grew from there. Happy, I want to talk a little bit more about because the average Vancouverite, I think it's so important for them to hear this perspective because a lot of us walk through the downtown east side or by homelessness all over the city now, especially since Oppenheimer's been dissipated. You can see that it's it's spread amongst many little areas within the world or within the yeah. Vancouver community. So, like to have you 
have that ability to show love to, to, to some of these people who might be causing a nuisance to some others on, on a daily basis and having that ability, that, that ability to see it in that way, I think is just a gift is so important, man. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's funny. It's like, you know, I grew up as uh, the youngest child and and my older siblings were like much older. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time alone in a kind of imaginative world. And I think that that is part of what built this skill of like being able to put myself in other people's shoes or, or even put myself in different shoes of my own in the case of cleaning that difficult room. Mm -hmm. and, and finding different fitting and, shoes. And you know, and I've always been drawn to extremes and to the margins and trying to take on something difficult. Um, and I also found that this work was really rewarding because I'd spent a, like uh, my adult life quite depressed and not really totally sure why. I thought it was like this existential thing, like the, the, the universe is meaningless and what, what am I doing here? Um, but I, this job actually sort of fell in my lap in a way like my friends worked for the organization they were hiring they said hey we think you should try this this would, this would be good and we know you need work so I said okay and it and and actually seeing like what other people are dealing with first of all had me stop feeling so sorry for myself and second of all um, there's something really magical about being of service and uh, or you know even just doing a favor for 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 a brother right like you know, it feels good when you hook someone up and they're stoked, right? But but so so there's something ab about us that is also improved by being generous, and uh, and and I would say that I was quite self-focused before I landed in this position where, like, I really had to give of myself, and it's and it's uh, and I found that like I became happier in a way. Um, or at least like relieved of a, of, of a burden that I had placed on myself of, and, uh, and started to just kind of get out here with people unless in here asking myself why my life hasn't turned out the way I wanted it. And you now, you now find that life is starting to turn out the way you want it to. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, and it's a practice, right? You just like, actually in, in what, there's a Buddhist teaching that I think it's the Buddha himself said that your mind is never in a neutral state. Whatever your mind is doing, it is practicing doing. Whatever your mind is doing, it is getting better at doing. So if you're complaining, you're getting better at complaining. You're starting to master complaining. If you're, if you're feeling grateful, now you're getting better at that. And so it was partly something showed up that gave me an opportunity to shift what my mind was doing. Yeah, re to re reconfigure the circuitry type deal. Yeah. Okay. So, so after you got everybody, um, you guys got everybody moved from Oppenheimer Park. They, we all know, they immediately set up at Crab Park. Mm. Didn't last long. Yeah. And then over to um, Strathcona. Strathcona. So Strathcona right now is crazy. It's so yeah. full, and so have you been dealing with that situation as well? Yeah. So I. Um, yeah, I, I, I followed the tent cities basically um, right into Strathcona until the end of September. And at the end of September, um, I wrapped up my contract and uh, I immediately took a month off. Um, but 
the people in Strathcona Park are, you know, a mixed bag, a lot of great people. I met, I didn't get as entrenched in that community as in Oppenheimer. I uh, wasn't there for as long. And, um, but it's, Cause you were in Oppenheimer like every day when I was living there, I would yeah. see you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That was full on. So is this like a f- different set of people? Yeah, it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. So most of the people who were housed out of Oppenheimer stayed housed. A certain, okay. num- a certain number of them, it didn't, they weren't situated in the right place. They got evicted, whatever. And some are back in on the streets or they're in Strathcona Park or whatever. But most of the people in Strathcona Park were not living in Oppenheimer Park. It seems like almost it's, like a house party effect, right? Where you, you know, the party gets broken up somewhere and then and then it gets bigger somewhere else and just it, it just gets bigger every time. Well, the phone but what's interesting is that. that it's different people. Well, yeah, but it's that's the, that's I mean, I was expecting him to say all the same people, you know, plus more. Um, but knowing that most of those people have stayed housed, well, that's really positive well it feels like word has gotten out tell me if i'm wrong but it feels like word has gotten out bigger than vancouver because when you drive by the strathcona park i took a wrong turn around there and i had to go around that industrial back road that's behind it the yeah. other day and it is like there's rvs parked all up and down the street venable like all really? behind there yeah i mean it seems as if it's become a huge hot spot well, like the rv the homeless homeless people living in rvs uh, which there are pockets all around Vancouver, but it, they, they've been there in Strathcona Park for a long time. Oh, and we just didn't notice it. And, and but they they fly under the radar because it's yeah because they're in an RV. They're I mean, this is, they're not yeah. that bad off comparatively. So yeah. are they mad now, or the, are the tent cities heating them out? Well, I, I think it has been. Yeah, it's brought a lot of attention. It's brought a lot of attention. I know the city of Vancouver has said they're going to start enforcing the no parking overnight there now. So it, it's it probably. I don't know. If, I don't. Because I've been away for a month, I'm not yeah. up on absolutely the latest, but um, I think that that it it has changed what their life in their community looks like, the RV community there. Hell yeah. Um, but but I but what happens is that you know the 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 prescription for getting housing is go to a shelter, stay at a shelter, connect with with workers there. You get in the system, you get on the housing list. Eventually, you get housed. But what happened in Oppenheimer Park and previously happened in uh, Victoria in 2016 was there was this tent city, which functioned as partly like a means of survival and partly as like a a protest for like we give us housing. And so um, because of covid this time, the government said we got we can't have all these people clustered and house everyone. But that sent the message. one way or the other, on purpose or, or not, that the way to get housed is to form a tent city. And so now this precedent has been set, or it's happened twice, where it's oh, like, tent city, you get housing, you you, you jump the line. Um, right. And a lot of a lot of people are afraid of shelter. They, or afraid might not be the best word. No, that's, but, but that's that's fair to say. Yeah, so I mean, and that's, that's the stories that I hear, that shelters are in fact these really um, these things that are built to to help the, the, the homeless population, but in fact are are cesspools. Well, not all be. not all uh, shelters are the same either. There are different kinds of shelters. There's women only shelters. Now there's a new shelter that's just for sex workers, and there are shelters with different barriers. There are sober shelters, like you can't show up uh, drunk or high, and then there are you know low barrier shelters where it's like come as you are. We just you know we want you indoors because that's safer. 
Um, and, but a lot of people too also don't, they like some of those shelters get very chaotic and some of them also, because people are coming in off the streets and whatever, there's also problems with, uh, with certain sanitation. There can be bed bug problems. There can be, and yeah, and there can be theft and, and it can be chaotic. So, you know, like if you're, if you're living on the street and you have to choose between going to like a chaotic shelter because the other ones are full, like our shelters are often full. Right. Or, or spending a night, like a winter night on the street, that can be a very tough choice. Um, yeah. So, fuck. Man. I mean, although winters are mild in Vancouver, they can still be unforgiving. Oh, oh. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I Just because it's not cold doesn't mean it's not shitty. Yeah, totally. And, and it's cold enough that you you can die. Of course. You can, people have died. At and and because also uh, the moisture here. Yeah. Right? Like uh, yeah. from the ocean and everything. When it's cold here, it really gets into your bones. That, uh, and because it rains so much, like a real problem for people being cold and, and suffering from hypothermia is that they can't get dry. Right. So you get wet and now it's nighttime and you and you can't get dry or maybe you haven't been dry. You haven't had dry clothes on for days and it's cold. Fuck. I mean, and then um, donate clothing to downtown. East yeah, side over definitely. Winter, all of our um, blankets, clothing, whatever socks, you can. I hear is what they need the most so- socks. Although we socks, that word has gotten out. There's a lot of socks that come in, but Good. any anything. Helps yeah, anything. Really. Um, there was. Um, Fuck, I forgot, I forgot my train of thought. I was thinking about something um, with uh, COVID and the SROs. Yes. I mean, I know there's been a couple of outbreaks. Yeah. So it's interesting. At the beginning of COVID, we didn't really see any outbreaks. In the Everyone downtown. thought the downtown east side was going to be hit so hard. But then in reality, I, we were saying at the beginning, at when we were doing the show around, right at the beginning of it, we were saying that, like, I mean, nine times out of ten people don't want to touch homeless people regardless let alone now or let alone the, the average person that you're walking down the street. I mean, realistically, it, they don't travel. Like, I mean, it's a very isolated community in that way. Yeah, that's right. Well, you start I, thinking that fentanyl is a fucking vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, it's funny because I did hear a lot of people in the community at the beginning of COVID say, like, we're immune. We're to, we deal with shit all the time. But we've talked about this before. I remember having but a I don't think I don't think that's true. Right. Yeah, like yeah. A lot of that's like, hey, everyone's getting COVID but us. But like, there's some truth to it in the sense that we've talked about it where you said that you've had clients or people that you work with. I don't know if clients is the right word, but uh, people that you work with who are like, don't have functioning livers but still drink every day. And people who are like, they're, they're, I mean, scientists should study them. There are the number of super resilient people I have met on, on the streets is unbelievable like what it takes for like you know you or me to like catch a cold and have to go to bed people are surviving and dealing with extraordinary health challenges and and, you know people die young like this is it will compromise but i mean there are people i actually remember a a 911 call for a guy great guy who i really loved and he was but he was like that we were calling 911 for him when i worked at this community center like once or twice a week and I can remember one time um, the firefighter showing up for him and one of the firefighters being like that guy's still alive like he's been coming for this guy for years right but just like he's just genetically made up and also what it takes to survive a childhood that leads you no to doubt. daily hardcore illicit 
you know, drinking or, you know, substance use, like people are, these people are super strong, resilient survivors. It's, and, and it's all, that's also one of the joys of developing relationships with people. I mean, because you develop relationships with extraordinary people. It's I'm sure the stories are, are mind blowing from these people. Yeah. Yeah. I will. Yeah. A number of my loved ones have shared with me unbelievable stories only of, their, of their lives. And there, yeah, you meet a lot of extraordinary people in the, in the street community. So, um, well, that's great. Maybe we should talk more about, uh, yeah, just the, where we go from Oppenheimer to, uh, to, to Crab Park. And what, what do you know about that? What can you tell the average person who's living in Vancouver about like, just, just to help us wrap our heads around why this is moving all over the place. Where does the mm-hmm. problem go? Like what's give us a better well, understanding. I think at the last homeless count, there was over 2000 documented homeless people in Vancouver. So it's got to be double that. So probably double that. Right. That's, that's fair enough. Because that doesn't maybe doesn't include a lot of people who like they got a couch to sleep on this week or whenever. Because right. they, they do the homeless count is like one day. I mean, oh, and no the way. homeless count is just walking around counting people. And then, you know, you could miss so much. Yeah. So right. I so I think that's exactly right, Jamie. The yeah. number is higher. Yeah. And so then, OK, so you house like 200 and almost 300 people. Well, that still it sounds leaves. like a lot, but it's right. Yeah. That's nothing. Yeah. So it's then and, and, and so then like there's plenty of people that that still need housing and now have seen, oh, 10 tent cities get housed. So it was, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, when I lost my train of thought, there was actually when we were when we were filming the mini documentary about downtown east side, um, we spoke to a guy who has been on these lists for, I think he said two years. Oh, that dude on the corner. That's yeah, right. Yeah, a little that's over right. two years, I think he said. And um, and he's, you know, and he calls every single day. Um, he's like for, a French guy, I remember. Yeah, he I can't like, remember, yeah. but he's an uh, older guy with yeah. a beard and stuff. But he called like every day for two years and uh, has gone nowhere. And then now you're saying these people, they go 10 City, they jump the line. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing and gets them in, right? Yeah, because the public outcry. Yeah, there's more. The, the, tent city, the more right? nuisance you can cause to the public, I guess. Because uh, I, I saw the people in Strathcona are are threatening to not pay their property taxes if mm-hmm. the city doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like, I mean, which is you know that's fair. If I put myself in their shoes, I don't want that. If I that across the street from me, but when I lived beside Oppenheimer, I didn't want that beside me either. But I also understand well, that you can't just say you don't want it the, and expect people, it to go away. The people living there don't want it like no, that no. either. The right. people in the tent city don't want to be living in a tent city. I mean, actually, you know, like people even when in Oppenheimer Park, when, like people living there who I got to know really well, they would like to see that park also be a park where people come and take their kids and do stuff. But they all but they would like to be housed somewhere that is safe, first of all, and dignified, hopefully. Right. No, they're better. They're better off with their friends and family in a community than they are by themselves in an alley. That's it's you. Yes, it's hard enough to get a good night's sleep in 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 a tent city. If you're alone in an alley and a doorstep, you're not sleeping well. No, no kidding. It's dangerous. So, um, and uh, the um, do you think that because Oppenheimer still has those the gate or, or the fencing around it? Do you think when that stuff comes down, do you think they're gonna just pour back in or? I, I'm hopeful that that won't be the case, but I think 
the best thing will be somehow to have the the Oppenheimer Park be community organized. Um, what something that was really interesting about Oppenheimer Park was eventually it was very densely packed with tents, but there were none were ever pitched on the playground area. Oh, that was kept as like this space that could still be a sort playground. of a sacred little a, yeah kind thing. of somehow sacred right and so but that's because of the social pressure of community if someone pitched a tent there other people living in tents would say hey you do not put a tent in the playground and something like that for because the the park is used uh by heavily by the community there's not a lot of green space in the downtown east side yeah no and so so I think like a kind of social pressure to keep it um, free of tents would it would be part of the effort. Um, and then also, you know, more housing uh, would also is also going to make better a housing. Yeah. And the federal government, I just uh, has, I think, stepped up to give the city of Vancouver like 50 million dollars or something. To... Oh, did they jump it up? Because I remember when that budget came out and let's say I don't know what the number is, but let's say, for example, it's 100 million dollars. I think they allocated like 80 million to the city of Toronto and like 1.5 million to Vancouver, you know, 2 million to Calgary, that sort of yeah. thing. But um, it sounds like what you're saying that's changed. Yeah, I just saw that. I may, I may not have this exactly right, but I hope I, you're right. I think the feds have stepped up. Well, it's, I mean, Vancouver houses uh, or, or is, is home to. Um, a, a good number of homeless people from around Canada. A huge because of our climate. Because of our, yeah, and not just not just the temperate climate, right? But also there are services the in the downtown. Yeah, political oh, okay. climate, and also because there's a community of drug users there. The, the you know, and the and the way that they are policed is different than in some other cities too. So there's a lot of there's oh, a from Portland. I hear so much Portland and Seattle and stuff. People moving up here because of the way things it's it's better up here for whatever reason. I, I don't I don't. There are Americans here, too. But I know that the co the combination of of, yes, the weather is major. You can spend all year outside here and not a lot of places in Canada. Can you do that? Um, and then also Vancouver has been. Uh, very progressive and has actually been a world leader in harm reduction and and care for the homeless. Can you? Yeah. I, I got a question for you with that because I, I remember you and I discussed before that, um, and I showed it to you that TED Talk, Jamie. Remember where the uh, the doctor? Oh, Portugal. Yeah, Portugal, and how they legalized drugs in two thousand, and and you know mm -hmm. since then, and sometime in twenty fourteen, they had they had done all the. Well, they decriminalized of, drug possession. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah, and they, they essentially right. they essentially just shifted the way that they viewed uh, addicts and drug yeah. use. And instead of taking someone and putting them in jail, they would put them in housing. And what they did was they took money out of things like welfare and, and social initiatives, and they put it all into rehabilitation programs, work rehabilitation programs, yeah. where you know the government would subsidize wages for people once they mm. got. I to think a they dropped point. things over fifty or like sixty percent or something like that. Yeah, it was it's some a ridiculous huge substantial number. number. Yeah, it's, this has been a raging success. Yeah. Yeah. It's clearly it's clearly what the rest of the world should do, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's well, it's one of those things. Oregon just voted to decriminalize drug possession. Yeah, they did. Um, so so that to, to bring to my point was uh, uh, with that those those same officials who made that decision in two thousand in Portugal had been to Vancouver sometime within the mm -hmm. past decade mm -hmm. and essentially had their hands on their head in awe of like how did anybody ever let it get this bad? Mm -hmm. So on a world in 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 some 
places in the world, it seems that we're, at least from my perspective, it seems like we're very behind. But you just said that, that we can be, we're on the forefront. So I'm just wondering Maybe, where, what perspective shifts that? So Port, Portugal is, is, is exceptional. Okay. Most of the world is, does not, I mean, Vancouver had North America's first and only safe injection site for like about 15 years. Right, yeah. Oh, wow. So, so that, are we just that far in second that it seems that way behind Portugal? In some ways, yes. Like oh, okay. you're way better off to be uh, a street entrenched drug addicted person in Vancouver than in virtually any uh, 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 American or Western city, actually. Or almost, I mean, uh, so much of the world globally, is awesome. with yeah. the exception of Portugal, kind of thing. Basically, yeah. yeah. And 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 you know, and, and there are other European countries that have regret. I mean, I'm not totally hip to the world scene, but I know that that Vancouver has has been leading the way. And now, and and during uh, COVID, um, we've started to see the dawn of a safe drug supply, prescription alternatives to opioids and even stimulants which is like the next phase of harm reduction. It's almost two major things that we're seeing that's going to help that this community is, is, is that harm reduction, safe supply, as well as universal basic income could change well, things as well. Maybe. I don't, I'm not that educated about universal basic income. I don't really. I don't even know, know if that's the right, is that the right word the to use. I think he's that. trying to say socialism. Socialism. <laughs> <laughs> but in today's thing, like, I mean, how did, how did CERB, for example, affect the downtown east side? Well, because it's more money than a lot of these guys have ever seen ever. Well, uh, a, a, a lot of time. folks had an influx of, of money and it's, you know, in some cases, you know, it really is a lack of funds. But the, the core problem is that people are hurting. People are hurting. Addiction always arises from pain. It starts with pain. For some people, it's a back injury. But for a lot of people, it's a psychological or emotional pain that is unresolved. So we have not yet really grasped how to treat people's trauma and PTSD and family of origin issues. So until we do that, like there's a, like, yes, housing helps and safe supply. It will save lives and is very important. And as far as like universal basic income and all of that, I don't know, maybe that can help too. But like the, the core issue that is not addressed is like is is people are are stuck in a cycle of traumatic suffering i hear that i think that um i've known quite a few people that have landed themselves on on the downtown east side um throughout the years and i'd have to say that i can't think of any of them that weren't carrying some emotional mental baggage yeah you know i i i don't see it as I mean, actually, I can think of uh, these two brothers that I'm still friends with that have actually been clean now for like 10 years or something. And uh, they have great lives, children, families. They're doing amazing. And these guys, I think, didn't really have emotional issues. They just got into drugs really young. Mm -hmm. And then it just progressed into, you know, the hardcore shit. Well, I think if you get into... But those are the only ones I could think of. And they're actually clean. Now, so, right. yeah, I think that, I, I mean, you have to face the fact that it's, that the um, emotional and mental issues is a predominant um, factor in the addiction issues. And it's no secret that Vancouver has it fucking bad. 
Ugh. you know, and I, I can't see how you can't attribute so much of that to mental illness and yeah, you know, and Vancouver and, has it worse than people understand though. Much worse than people understand, and I don't think that. I mean, it's not great. I imagine it's not great for tourism to fucking pump it out there, you know, in the right. media and and such. I'm sure there's influences saying maybe hold off on you know so much of the opioid crisis and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. because of tourism, because Vancouver so huge on tourism. Um, but I think that if people um, were to take the time and do their own research and look into it, I think they'll be pretty amazed oh. on how massive the scale is here. Mm-hmm. Well, especially you know? listening to people need to listen to people like Happy Absolutely. more. Well, and, and, and you know what? This this problem of homelessness is growing. There are, there are homeless, homeless encampments, tent cities, in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Squamish, Nanaimo, Victoria, Prince George, Kelowna. Those places go. Wow. Those, those places get cold. Some of those they do. But, but this, but but this, the, the rise of tent cities is. This is a phenomenon of our lifetime. This is a growing problem. This is this is this is. This is moving in the wrong direction for the moment. Well, and another thing about British Columbia as well is the price of, uh, of real estate mm. is so high that trying to, you know, get the government to get involved in building low-income housing, it's got to be such a fucking uphill battle to try to get them to loosen their purse strings to do that. I mean... Well, it all starts with them. Absolutely. Of course it does. But I'm just saying the real estate market, I mean... It's insane. So, I mean, even to try just to be like a young family, young working two income family um, to buy a home here, it's next to impossible. This is out of the question. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, you know, and so to try to think of, you know, the government spending money um, on people that can't afford even a place to rent or, you know, anything like that, you know, for whatever reason, it's just... I don't have a lot of faith in the government to do that. You know, I mean, well, yeah, they, they have. There's no reason to have faith at this point. We haven't seen a lot of, of well, like I said, we're seeing more tent cities, not fewer. Yeah, right. So, but we're seeing that almost as a as a response to, like you said, to to seeing positive outcomes from it. So, do you think that the, the, the well, tent cities are happening because of that? That so the and so that's in Vancouver. So partly yes, partly like. The, these formations of these large tent cities, yes, but it's also a, it's it's equally a question of survival. And for people like you know, when when there's a, a homeless encampment in the woods in Maple Ridge or 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 Abbotsford, that's also is a matter of survival. So you know, it's hard to parse it and say, well, it's this is the this is the factor. This is the factor. You know, this this these are complex problems. And they're multivariate. There's many 100%. contributing factors. Um, so, and 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 I don't have the political or the economic solution. That's not really my forte. Uh, but I know that, like, on an interpersonal level, um, we have to come together, and we have to ultimately we have to vanish the us them conversation. We have to understand that we are not we are just like i said we are a thing in a body but we are also our relationships and we are also our community and it's actually bad for affluent people 
to live in a city with dire homeless with a dire homeless crisis that is not good for anybody and we, we I can see that what you're saying is that takes a toll on the mental health of the of the regular day-to-day citizens absolutely. as well absolutely it does and we're we we we're in this together we're in this together this the, the housing issue affects all of us living next door like you do Right, because you live in the downtown. I, I did. I, I moved now. Okay, but, but like, but to people who are now, now he has a view of the downtown yeah. Eastside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like from the top of the mountain. But yeah. but but living, you know, even with with if you're not right in the downtown Eastside, it doesn't matter. You're living in another neighborhood. That's still a part of your city. These are still your fellow people who are living an an inhumane or less than humane existence. And that wears on you. No, for sure. I, I remember when I moved here, I, I remember I was so sensitive and, and open to the homeless and mental health at the beginning. And as I as time passed, as I lived here, I became so much less patient and so much more of just had way more of a rigid view towards the, especially living beside Oppenheimer was so hard. Well, and not everybody is the, the because not all these people in there are people in need. Some of them are taking advantage of a situation. Um, and, um, you know, and then you got these guys blowing off these bear bangs and all that oh, stuff yeah. in the middle of the night and, and kids and whoever, yeah, you know, and, and then you got, um, you know, these, uh, rapes that have gone on in, in the tent cities and, uh, stabbings and mm-hmm. all these other things. And so, you know, it's, it, it's easy to lose patience and understandable. Yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and it's and it's not always easy to see that like the that the consequence of of extreme uh, poverty and neglect and addiction is going to be these 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 cultures of violence, predation, and survival that 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 arise as partly as a legacy of as a violent legacy of of partly how the country was formed and partly how it persists. Um, Fuck yeah. Damn. But um, I do, you know, it's on the subject of like how we're impacted by how the society we live in. Um, there's a study about uh, happiness as it relates to poverty. And happiness uh, is not absolutely connected to poverty in the way that it's so much as it is to the disparity between rich and poor. So there are countries that where I'm not actually sure how they measure happiness or satisfaction, but where people actually are dealing with uh, greater poverty in one country than in another. But the poor, but the less poor folks are less Ha- also less happy because they live in a society where people are also very much more rich than in this country in the other country you okay. know what i'm saying Does yeah. that, is that at all clear so, so in it, other words if you're if you like let's say on a scale of one to ten poverty you're like a three where someone else is a one abject poverty but in the country where you're a one you know the richest people get is like a six. But you're, you're essentially bringing those those numbers are fe- bringing them more to a center. Right. Right, where, where the rich people feel poorer and the poor people feel richer. And I think that's what happens when you live in a melting pot, like when people are... are, are... I'm saying that the disparity between like rich and poor, the, the, the greater dis- the disparity 
the less happy people are. On both sides. Well, uh, among the poor. Among I'm not, the poor. And, and I'm not actually sure, but I mean, I know a lot of miserable rich people. Absolutely, right? 100%, 100%. I mean, that's interesting. To, that's the, uh, an interesting metric, if I say that. The, the, what, what he just said was that, that the greater disparity between poor people and rich people within a community, the less happy poor people are. So if, if the closer the, the, the but, but income I'm, gap is. Yeah, but it can be even be the case that people who are can be very poor is if the rich people in their country are not that rich, then those very poor people still turn out to be ha happier, have a better quality of, of, of their psychological life than the people in the country with the very rich people even if those poor people are less poor. That's simple, isn't it? Isn't that because everybody is living closer together and have, has, a, has a similar experience to their, to their life? And I, I and think have, so. Exercise more empathy. I think empathy is where this all kind of begins, right? Well, and that's, I think that's probably the most salient thing is that we are empathic. We are social creatures. We evolve, look, in our evolutionary state, we depend on our community. If you're, if you're, that's why social death is so, when your friends tell you to get the fuck out of here, why it's so painful. Because on an evolutionary level, when you're kicked out of the group, you're dead. Right. Yeah, you're not going to survive. You're not going to survive. Right. So that's how ingrained it is for us to be empathic towards each other. And we kind of lose track of that in this great, like, technological world of comfort that most of us live in, but it's still a part of our biology. So you are still, you still feel that connection to the people you see sleeping on the street or, or obviously unwell on the sidewalk. That's mm -hmm. still a part of your psychological and emotional makeup is like, this is my fellow person. And no, we have great ways to distract ourselves from what that is really doing to us. But like, I think that if any of us who stop and check in, we realize that that is a, a, is a terrible feeling to see somebody suffering. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, no one wants to see that. But it's, I mean, it's easy to say that. And that's another thing to do something about it. Yes, that's right. And so that's the, I mean, and that's a question for or me. Or to sacrifice your own comfort for another's comfort. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, um, I have, I have, like I said, I've learned that I'm like, that in, in, in putting myself in a position um, to have somebody make a difference for me. Well, there's no, there's no making a difference for someone without them making a difference for you. This is completely reciprocal. So when I say what I'm doing in the community, I say that I am hosted in this community where I am allowed to heal my heart by participating in the healing of others. But it's, it's when you get involved at that level, or and it doesn't even have to be that level, but it's when you start to take steps to connect with other people, and to allow other people to make a difference for you, that I think things start to improve. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to think about, man. Yeah, man, it's a lot to unpack for sure. I mean, I, I, the, the biggest thing that you said to me today that uh, I think is important is when you said we're, when you look at a homeless person or you look at somebody who's, who's obviously unwell. And I, it, what I'm taking from it is it says more about you if, you're, if you look at that in a way that uh, that is negative i guess that's maybe you're in a bad place if you if you don't want to reach down and be empathetic for that person 
Well, I think so. Yeah, I think if you're if 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 you if you see someone suffering and you don't feel bad, that's that's a sign. Which makes a lot of sense. Like I, I, which that makes a lot of sense. Like right right here and now. But when you're walking down the street and you see something that frustrates you or annoys you, it's really hard to keep that in mind. Especially when you just get used to it. Totally, exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, you do end up getting numb after a while, and you know you walk. You know, like for example, at your old place. You literally had to walk by Oppenheimer Park almost every day. Yeah. So you had to, you know, you have to get numb to it at some point where you don't even notice the fire that's going on. But I started to think about, like, there were were moments where I'd be walking by and I'd go, like, fuck, I'm numb to this. I'd hear a scream that was, like, blood curdling. And I'd be like, if I was anywhere else, I would run towards that and be like, what's going on? And... That's not what I'm doing here because I write it off as like, oh, it's just another Hastings noise. But what if something actually is happening that requires my attention right there or needs help or there's a rape or some sort of God shitty thing that's happening? And it's just like, oh, God, because I I mean, facts, it happens. It happens every day. So, you know, it just it makes me feel really low at times when I was there going like, why? So Uh, I think that's the the question for us as as a community, a city, a culture, a society is when do we realize that we are only as well as our most vulnerable person? When does it start? When do we start to measure ourselves by how we care for the dispossessed? Yeah. I, and, and which I think like, and, and, it's, and it's partly a consequence of being, living in such a large population. If you lived in a small town and someone on your street, they had their house burned down. Oh, people would be lining well, up with food yeah, and a place to they'd stay. They'd probably be and, in a better situation than they were financially before the house burned down. After all, but, well, I don't know about that, but the, you know, but there are cases where that has happened. One hundred percent, right? One hundred percent. But it, because in that case, you understand your proximity, you understand your connection to this person, even whether you knew them or not. But probably you did know them. But in when, in this, in, when you're dealing with like hundreds of thousands of people in the same city, you don't feel, you don't understand yourself as connected. In you're you're connected, but almost more disconnected at the same time. Well, yeah, you're 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 sort of forced to be. I think again, like I think a lot about this in terms of evolutionary terms, obviously, because it keeps coming up. But I think there is a number of like of people that your brain is able to know. That you're able to like know this is the this is this person's face name and personality, and it's like it's like 120 or something. Or 150, I thought was the community thing. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, mine capped out at like seven years old. I remember they're like we talked two days ago and I go Man, fuck that happens to me all the yeah, time. I'm like I don't know who yeah. you are. No fuck. kidding, no kidding. But then so then what happens to that mechanism? when you're living in a city of 100,000 people. Uh, and this is part of, again, the social pressure thing. What keeps you from acting like an asshole in your community of like whoever your, your friends are is that you're gonna get, you're not gonna have friends much longer. Because, and, but when nobody knows you when, you, when you can slide by in anonymity, I mean, well, the greatest example of this is the internet. But you also see it driving your car. I mean, look, if you bump into someone on the sidewalk, shoulder to shoulder, you're like, oh, sorry, sorry. 
if you even just suggest that you might cut someone off in your car, they're enraged. It's super beef. Because, yeah. they're, because they're insulated by their anonymity. And on the internet, you see it even worse. There's no accountability. Cars and the internet are an interesting equivalency there, right? <laughs> yeah, I never realized that until you put it in those terms. Yeah. But when you yeah. know somebody, when, you're, when, you are, when you are connected to somebody, you cannot, you're, something about you will not let you act like that much of an asshole unless you're really dysfunctional. Right. Because there is a pressure. There is a social pressure. So that's, I think, something about that 150 number. But now there's like hundreds of thousands of millions of us in the same place. So now how do you behave? And so then it comes back down to this kind of individual responsibility. I think, well, I can only speak about me and what I'm responsible for, which is like actually... Okay, what is it like for me to try to bring about the best version of myself? Is that a project worth taking on? Seems like it. And for, it, it, for me, it is. It actually is making my life better. It's, it's stabilized my, my life. It's given me better relationships. It's made me a better father. It's been, had me be more fulfilled in my work. Um, but I guess at this point, like that's something we have to either decide we're going to take on for ourselves because we don't the natural pressure for it is gone um and but actually there's also a ton of science about um about pro-social behaviors producing positive outcomes so that actually like people the people who have the greatest measure of, of well-being psychologically and otherwise are people who are generous forgiving uh, cooperative, you know, who exhibit pro-social behaviors. So you're saying the happiest people in the world are people who are community-based? That seems to be the case. And also, if you look at um, the blue zones uh, in, in the world where, where people have the greatest longevity, I thought you were talking about states for a second. No, no, like, no, 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 and so I think that, and, and then the, the science continually uh, or, or increasingly reinforces, again, what is pointed in, like, as Jamie mentioned, the, like the roots of these religions and spiritual traditions, which is like, you be good to each other and you will have a better life yourself. And, the, you know, and so I, I think it's well known. This is well documented, but there's something still- We get lost overcome. in the simplicity of it. Yeah. Yeah. And because we're easily made comfortable and uh, and it's easy to imagine that all we don't have to do that. All we have to do is aspire to the next success. Um, but that's just not how we are wired. Yeah. Or, or the way we're doing it, at least. Well, that's why you see, you know, uh, wealthy, wealthy and successful people who are miserable. Yeah. If it, if yeah. if that were if 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 the thing that was going to make you happy was wealth, then every rich person would be happy. Yeah, I know a lot of rich assholes. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. and people who are just miserable. Yeah, I think or, that's what I mean. They're yeah. just their whole demeanor. They're just uh, you know even ones that I've uh, met recently. I met a couple uh, recently, pretty wealthy guys, and uh, 
it was just you know sort of a, a you know just a greeting and the, just their energy was just really uh you know they're just like oh, hey what's going on like, like, bro you're just, rich yeah i'm like <laughs> damn but you know it's it, i mean it's pretty common uh, common knowledge that um money can't buy happiness i mean the saying's there for a reason mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's just a fact and uh i think that uh, i think there's a lot to be said about community i mean i belong to a motorcycle club mm-hmm. and um and i fucking love my brothers like passionately you know and i know you do you know yeah and and i'm and uh you know and then my kids my mom all you know obviously my family you know um just like everybody else you love them so much but um outside of that my friends i really value my friendship so i understand the wealth and community and the different communities and how they like overlap how the circles kind of overlap with each other yeah yeah and that's really interesting too that you mentioned the motorcycle club yeah because there is there are uh, there is a value there a so and it is a kind of social pressure of like these are my brothers yeah and i am accountable to them for who i am being absolutely 100 percent. right yeah and so that's a very good example of how you the way that you choose to be as a part of that community is informed by the community itself and and the, and the tradition of it too yeah absolutely it's a very great tradition too, yeah right? absolutely so, tons of tradition been around a long time yeah but, and so you know. and and as we move into this this new era i mean a lot of people don't have that yeah this in the 21st century yeah with the social media is there friendships right. and all this sort of yeah not well, a lot of thing. not as much human contact oh yeah and especially now with the way covid's going and with some people with their conspiracy theories and whatnot that this is, you know, some way for the government to separate people and divide and conquer and all these other different like they've been, things. They've been trying to do that for a long time. But if there's, there's any, but if there's that. any truth to that, I mean, this is working because mm-hmm. people are really mm-hmm. separated now. I mean, yeah. in a really big way. Yeah. And, and, and not only separated, but insulated. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So yeah. you get into your bubble, your social media bubble. You don't even, the only thing you know about the people who disagree with you is what the people who agree you, with you, you have tell said. You about right. them. It's just, oh, yeah. I was trying to explain that to somebody earlier this week about how, because even I, I noticed that the example that I like to use is um, I saw some, you know, you know, there's on, on both sides of the right and left ways of thinking there's meme generator people who are yep. just making memes and they don't care what it says as long as it gets clicks. Mm. Right. And then the, the big realization point for me was, you know, the Toronto Raptors have the Black Lives Matter buses. Mm. Right. When when they were when they were still traveling and the, there were a, there was a Republican meme generator that said this was Antifa's buses that they were bringing in to riot <laughs> to pay people and stuff. And I went, that's just outrageously crazy. What the what yeah. they said, and then you know it makes you think. At first, you go, "Oh, the right's so crazy," but then you then then you start to get curious and start to Google these other meme generator generators for the other side, and you start to see that it, it is insulation. And I think insulation is insulation is a great way of putting it because when you when you have ideas and you put them out, those ideas come right back at you. Mm. Those same ones, they don't get filtered through anything when they come back. There's no other opinions or or ideas or, or environments that need to kind of put it through a filtration process for you to go, oh, maybe that's it. It's just this initial thought that gets reinforced over and over and over again to the point where 
the Toronto Raptors traveling buses are now Antifa's main you know, um, <laughs> yeah. method of transportation. That's and, crazy. I, and I think it's a great example of just how deluded things can get. And if you think, if you're a left-wing thinker or a right-wing thinker, and you think that you're impervious to, to that on either side, you're crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a supreme value to actually uh, take another person's perspective perspective to the best you can walk a mile in their shoes and to give people the benefit of the doubt to be generous in your assumptions about them and try to learn what they're saying but we're so defensive we're so defensive and i think it's i think that's a fear response actually. oh for sure people, it is. people are afraid yeah i think what you just said right there that everyone's perspective is different like my perspective and your guys is that at this table has been wildly different let's hear from you yeah I mean, there have been a lot of great points that you that 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 you happy have spoken about, like uh, helping others and being there for them and giving them a chance that they're all people that they deserve that they're all in some sort of pain, totally and like understandable. And uh, the fact that like Vancouver is not doing anything, that like like the money's not in the right places. Everyone got everyone got kicked out of Riverview. There's no real help for those that have uh, mental illness and stuff like that. Thanks for the recap. Yeah, uh, there's all that. But then, like, on, in my mind, I'm just all like, like, yes, there's Irish, but like, how many, like, how much responsibility is on those people on the streets? That's a great like, question. For me, it, like, I remember growing up, like, in the first couple of years being in Chile, if you were poor, you're just fucking poor. Like, there's no program, there's no person, there's no, there, there's no place you can go and get food or anything like that. There's just like, you can go to work or you could not go to work. Mm-hmm. And like 99% of people just choose to go to work because mm-hmm. they have to. So like, it's crazy here to me that like, that like, yeah, like, like we are letting down the people uh, like hugely, but they're kind of letting us down too, man. Like, I don't know anywhere else we could sign up and get a house like a couple, like a year or two later. I bet you if we were to go to like a lot of countries in the world, millions would sign up for that plan. Yeah. Like I have to wait two years and I get a house down outside mm-hmm. in rain sure yeah that's nothing like yeah. i get that like but it, it's also just so like there's so much available to them but mm-hmm. they're like how many of them are taking the option well listen there's even people i have encountered and i have a, a, a friend a good a good friend who's a firefighter too who in the downtown east side and we were actually having a similar discussion about um about people uh, about people who are unable to accept help. Like there are people, you it's a 911 call. You go to help somebody who desperately needs your help and they tell you to go fuck yourself. There, I have seen people actually, I can remember a guy when I was working at uh, Insight, the, the safe injection site, where I was telling, his leg was so swollen and bad and there was no, like, he would not go get it treated. And you see, we would see a lot of amputations too because of infections and things. But, and I was telling, I was pleading with him. I was like, man, if please go to the hospital, what can I do to help you get to the hospital tonight? Because this leg, it could be gone by tomorrow. This has gone too long. And sometimes the thing that happens is that people get uh, sectioned, like in the mental health, and then they, they, they're forced to get treatment. But this guy, so finally in this conversation he arrived at the place like okay okay i'll go to the hospital call the ambulance i'll go to the hospital i'm just going to do one more shot did a shot and left but 
the point is like his state of mind had advanced to the point where like his next fix was more important to him than keeping his leg. So what circumstance could you imagine finding yourself in where you'd be like, I just don't need this leg. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So, but that's one guy. But you're but that's not to discount your point altogether no, I, because I, I feel that. Because people so that's one level of dysfunction that's that is somehow it's not maybe the same as the the type of poverty you were describing, where it's like you're poor and you gotta work. There's this like I'm poor and I don't care if my leg falls off. I'm well, yeah, I, I feel that, but it's Well, sub, the big difference between those two is substance abuse is a part of your... your yeah, substance of abuse and mental illness Yeah, are the are the things. I mean, I, I think I, what, what Herman's talking about I is think, just basically people are taking advantage of the system that are able to... Not just that, but it's just like... No? It's just, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's definitely that, but it's like, where were you having this conversation with this man? Was it indoors? Mm-hmm. Like it was in a medical facility. In a medical facility, it's just Insight like, is a is a safe injection site, and it's it's considered a medical facility. Well, like well, like it's just a, like to me, it's also crazy that like you have so many opportunities to do drugs. Yeah. Like if I was a crackhead here in Vancouver, I could do crack for a long time. As long as you could afford it. As yeah. As, well, the like, drug problem is never a problem. Until you can't like, afford even it. If, well, like even if you couldn't afford it, like they give you like like I can just go into one of these shelters and they'll give you like a substitute for it or something, right? They'll give me a place to sleep. Mm, it's it's it, we're, well well part of the effort is to figure out like a, a prescription substitution for yeah. stimulants. So we're not there yet. But if you're an opioid user, you 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 are have, increasingly you have options. Yeah. So, so not the, crack so much, but opiates. No, but and like now. even like even the chance like it's crazy that you have that opportunity. They're like 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 you said it earlier. Isn't Vancouver one of the best places to be a drug user? Yes. Yes. It like, is. So like I mean. I, I feel like that's a double-edged sword. I mean, like, yeah, it's so, good. Herman, I'm so glad that you piped up, man. This is really important. <laughs> this, this, this whole time, I'm just like, man, I feel like such an asshole. You have to open doors to conversations. There's no yeah. uh, wrong answer or bad questions. And I mean, that's the thing. Like when people talk about Democrats, Republicans, the, the biggest problem there is their disconnect and inability to communicate right. to each other. So yeah. absolutely just, ask the questions. And you represent a whole, like a whole bunch of people listening. Right. Are, are you are speaking for them. Yes. Right. Well, I, was, I, was, I was trying to gather. But most of those people, most of those people live near it mm. and, and, and see it on a day-to-day basis. I think, I think it lends to a lot of what we've already talked Which about. Which Herman has too, right? Yeah, yeah, of right next yeah. to it. Yeah. It lends to what we've already talked about where it's just, you, you become less and less patient with it and more and more well let's get into it let's get, let's actually like let's let's chop it up with herman because um i think that also you're you're gonna you are bringing up valid points and also i'm not right about things I, this is just my this is my best yeah, yeah, guess yeah, yeah. right based on my experience uh-huh. and my observations but um when so when you talk about uh well, I don't know what should we get into. Drugs, personal responsibility. I mean, these are very important. I think questions. personal responsibility is yeah. where you're getting yeah. at, right? Yeah. yeah, so right. And so then to what extent are people being enabled? Is their dysfunction being enabled? Because, we, you know, we're not saying, hey, you've got to be responsible for yourself here. Yeah. Something like that, right? And also, I would say that this is also a good example of how to sort out a difference in opinion too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Is like, is 
is for is like here's let's say we disagree here we haven't actually arrived at the disagreement yet but it's important for me to try to articulate your position in a way that sounds agreeable to you and that's a lost art in debate Agreed. absolutely most people just want to make you sound like either you're evil or an idiot yeah and then respond to you from there but but herman i know you and i love you <laughs> and and i know that you're smart and i know you've got a heart of gold and so i know these questions are coming from a good place even if you disagree with me I, well, no, that's the thing. I don't disagree with you. I think that everything you said was right. Yeah. I just think that I think you're probably the best person or like the, 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 like the type of people that you are and stuff like that is the, the type of person that can fix this. Because like like there's the government people that are all doing it wrong. Money's going to the wrong place. Everything's just like going wrong. And then there's the people who are so inflicted in their own pain and in the uh, addictions and in poverty that they don't trust no one. They don't want no help. None of that. They can't be held responsible. Yeah, you were like yeah. you. You seem to be the only one that's like the middle ground. I mean, like you understand where they're coming from, and you understand that they're not doing what they well. That's be a doing. that's a lot of responsibility to put on me. Thanks. No, no, not, not just you, but <laughs> yeah, you not just you, but, for a, it, but a person like you. <laughs> no, no, but, yeah. no, but everyone that's working like <laughs> like, like like down there, like what yeah. you guys want to do is yeah. to end it, right? You right. fucking ask for this, right? You people know what. <laughs> and, so I think, so like I think what I think like what, what's that, like since you have such like connection to the community and you build relationships, you could like uh, talk like. Get these guys to understand. Like, if the government were to somehow put the money in the right place and get their ass in gear, talk to these guys and be like, "Look, the help is there. All you got to do is agree to it, and just kind of get mm. them to like yeah. give give and take from on both ends." Is what he just said? Is what he just said possible? I don't think so. Not at the moment, and, I, the and moment, I'm also not sure that that's the solution because the solution. you know, because well, no one knows the solution, but we're gonna try things. Well, let's say let's say things. hypothetically, um, just to throw a scenario at you, let's say law enforcement somehow finds a way to stop um, the drugs from coming in and they do a big roundup and they bust all the dealers. Let's say like literally every single one. So all of a sudden, Vancouver's dry, no dope. What happens? Wow, I don't know. I mean, there would be, I think there would be chaos. I agree. Uh, because I, people, yeah. some people, uh, there'd be a whole bunch of people immediately who are hurting. And yeah. like they're going to be sick. Some people, I, I mean, might, it might even be a life-threatening withdrawal case. But assuming that you could stabilize people, I mean, you'd need care facilities. At that point, you'd be like, okay, you now you do not have the option of doing drugs. What you can do is either die or come to this care facility. But wouldn't we and see hopefully a it's a it's a care facility that is like compassionate. Right. So I'm thinking. So this is where I was sort of headed with with. Uh, so you got all these people that are dope sick and um you know going through these brutal withdrawals and all that and let's say you can save most of them and get them over that hump um do you think that like they're all just going to go right back to it when the opportunity arises or do you think some are actually will stay off drugs well like yes, uh, what some, i'm talking about really is supply and right, demand right right well some people some people once you know the, the, the journey to sobriety is is usually like a, a two steps forward, one step back. It's there's a constant relapse and it's right. try again, try again, try again. So probably so what I would guess based on that evidence is that most people, if with the opportunity to relapse from so sobriety, there would be a, a good portion that would 
go back. Right. So it would be because I something that would be decided right then and there either. It would be an ongoing. Right. Yes. But the the thing is, is a lot. A lot of times you hear, I can't get off it because of how sick I'm going to be. I might even die. Mm -hmm. I I, I just got to have a little bit. Yeah. Just to keep me from being sick. So that so that so that process is so you so that's so this that's why there are are detox facilities before you go to treatment. It's it's like, here's how we're going to stabilize you physiologically. Oh, that's what you mean by stabilize. Well, that and also psychologically. Too, right, right? Yeah, because that's also that. that's the that is also a major factor. For and then things come into like methadone and yeah, that sort of and, shit. And yeah, and other like opioid replacements and things like that. But I mean, the bottom line is that also people, and I think we're just getting to this in our in the understanding of what we're providing in the social sphere is that there there must be programming that supports. Um, healing on a personal level, healing on a community level. In the case of uh, Indigenous and First Nations people, that includes healing on a historical and, and cultural level. Yeah. Um, and then also that there are, there must be opportunities for people to to take responsibility because ultimately we each of us longs to be responsible. For yeah. something important well, and, like, and, and responsible for ourselves. I think purpose but is there's, the meaning of life. But there's a like, there's a getting there. Yeah, there's well, a like, getting there. Well, like that's what I feel is the problem in Vancouver is that um, a lot of the a lot of the things that they like that they're able to get, they don't really. I mean, like if I wanted free housing or anything like that, what would it cost me? Like what? Like if I became homeless and I was addicted and I was on downtown, mm-hmm. what would it personally cost me to get that housing? What would I have to give up? You, well, you'd have to give up, you know, it's whatever, a portion of your, if you're living on welfare, you, you'd have to give up a portion of your welfare check because it's the social housing is like, you know, it's like 375 bucks or something like that. Yeah. So you, so that, so, and welfare is like, you know, I don't know, 700 bucks. Or, let's say those are the numbers. I don't know them. Um, so like that comes right out of your welfare checks so and now you have 300 bucks to live on. So from a, for a month. For, yeah. So from so economic, but it's speaking, doable. It's do. I mean, people. I've done do it. I mean, like I like I did it for fun in like my twenties when I was always going around skateboarding. I was yep. eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yeah. like Me seven too. times a week. Me too. I've done it too. I've, it's I've not been very very poor. It can be done. Yeah. yeah. But it's like see see the what I'm saying is see like you, like what from what I just heard is like this this person is being given a free check mm-hmm. that he can that then that he then some of that check is being taken away for a free house so the mm-hmm. money he never yeah. even feels it at all being gone and then mm-hmm. he just gets this free housing and free money on top mm-hmm. of it. see what I, my problem with it like there's it's not there's, the shangri-la by the way it's not but there should i mean like i i mean if they, they if, if they agree to some sort of responsibility it could be if they're like hey like like hey, you can get all you can, can can you can get your money, you can get your house to stay, and you can come and go do your drugs, but maybe join like a like a class once. Well, that's what Portugal did. Well, that's, that was a big part of Portugal's like rehabilitation. And you know what? Yeah. I don't think you even have to make that compulsory for the for the folks whose mental illness is manageable enough, or who or who are who have relatively good mental health, yeah. like housing. It's it's it amounts to a kind of warehousing of unfortunate people. What do you do once you're in your housing? I have seen people continue to languish and die in their social housing. It's not, so it's not- Have you seen many people flourish? I have also seen people flourish. And I'll tell you what, the difference, I have seen people in 24 hours undergo a transformation from I've been sleeping on the streets for two years to I just had a good sleep for the first time 
in that amount of time. And I've seen people go And from, their perspective just changes. I, I've seen, I, I remember a guy that I knew who was, who came in uh, to our community center angry and about to explode every day for a year. It was like tough to deal with this guy. Once he got housing, he was, it was easy. It, it's 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 an um, it's a radical shift when people are housed, um, so that's that's one thing. But housing is also not. Well, that's enough. encouraging, though. Yeah, yeah that's that is encouraging. Yeah, sure. Housing is also not enough for a lot of people because you still we still have those needs we're talking about, yeah. right? Like our personal needs and our social needs, and some housing communities can meet the social needs, but it's like, what do you do? Like if Zach just mentioned it, uh, that that like you you must live a purposeful life yeah if you to 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 be fully any culture will tell you that we'll 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 agree with that well that's why we have all these mythologies i think it'd be better for like a system like that where like you gave a little like we like we we continue to give them the help but they gave us a little something like like be a part of the community like like join the community class where they just do like a little powwow circle or something. Well, there are some, there are, there are things like that. And I've seen and like, there, there are go around cleaning up needles. And shit. Are, yeah. Because yeah, of where I live, I see those people in my alley yeah. all the time with their reflective vests and they're cleaning up, you know, syringes yeah. and stuff. Cause I find syringes right. in my garage door and shit. Fucking like, those, those folks are, are th- those programs where you get, have a chance to work. You have a chance to contribute to your community, make a little bit of money that you have earned. Those are really, positive program uplifting to you just to your humanity sorry to interrupt for a second guys this just sounds so much like a prison story right now right when you finally get a prison job and how stoked some prisoners have been once they're once they're indoctrinated into prison culture for so long and getting a job and finding that purpose is and it it's just i can't help but think what were the environment that we're split word that we're describing right now isn't you know the environment that we're used to in, in the sense of like we live day-to-day lives and make choices it is a even though we're outdoors and they can do whatever they want it is very much a prison I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in, I in a lot of ways. I was going to say, like, I know we're talking about Portugal being, like, like totally great and stuff, but, like, there must have been a number of them that didn't take any of the help and that didn't want, like, of course. like oh, what of did course. they do with those guys? What, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, like, well, I they're probably living in a tent somewhere. And that, just like, like here. But like, if you like take it in, like take it into consideration, like places like Sweden and shit like that, like where where, where like eventually they uh like if you can't take care of yourself, they take away like all right, you can't take care of yourself, and then the government takes control of you and they force you to go to not jail or anything like that, but like rehab and all stuff, that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, I yeah. personally think that's a positive because, they, like you said, like a lot of these folks, but they need to have the facilities to do that. They could do it. We don't. Well, that's what well, I'm like, saying. We don't have no, the facilities saying, to do like, that it's, here. It's possible they could do it for sure. They need. Sure they, they need to put that funding into the, these things. I Absolutely. Than, I think it's better than the system we have now, where we just give and don't get anything in return. Well, it almost sounds and like it's like, and then it's like, how many of the same people do you like? Well, I think we do. Recurring? We do get something in return, but the the I for me the goal has got to be to uplift and empower people. And so this is a very tricky balance of like when you're giving people things, is it disempowering? Because to be given something can be disempowering. It depends on the context, and it, I think it also depends on what other opportunities are provided. Absolutely, like there was, uh, for example, uh, Andrew Yang, who was uh, running for the Democratic ticket in the United States, and his whole platform was give everybody in the United States, everybody. A thousand bucks a month, you know, on top of whatever they're making, would give them a thousand dollars a month, um, 
and uh, and just you know sort of a socialist idea to see people uplifted and all that. Um, but the argument to that is simply um, if you keep giving and people don't have to earn, you're not doing them any favors. I see. You know, because they're not going to strive to do more. They're not going to not going to get yeah. off the couch if they're going to so, live on sure. that but or I see, I see whatever what it is. He's saying though, with it, it can be disempowering or it can be empowering because if you give something away to the right person, that person will just take it and run. It's a it's a give an inch and take a mile type situation. Yeah. But if you if if, if you're in a situation where you want to give someone something that where where they're in a place of real lowness where they don't feel like anybody cares about them at all and somebody goes and gives them something and says you 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 matter or you 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 have you're worth it you're yeah. worth it then i think that is really empowering but i that's that's where i see your yeah it's, it's a really tricky line because yeah that's a fragile little it's very fragile like, it, it has to be done in, in the way that you uh, do your work it has to be done in a place from like brother to brother like uh, the way uh, I would like things, the way I would like uh, things to be done, would be just like that. It would be just like, listen, we're gonna give you all this. This is a, a road to helping you help yourself. But you want to see more of a plan, like so. so yeah. In Portugal, we talked about what, what we Not didn't just talk more, about. Just like, let's just throw and, but you know what? The critical difference, and we just touched on this with the guys whose job is to go pick up needles, is it's not an opportunity to help you help yourself. It's an opportunity to help you help others. That is the healing opportunity, is to help others, is to be of service. That's what we everybody wants. When you ask, yeah, you don't really look at it that way. I never looked at it that way at all. When you ask a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's often a helping profession. Right? Yeah, fireman. I want cop. Fucking whatever. It's a doctor. Yeah. Whatever. It's something where you get to help. And so this is also too like the like okay, some people when you give them money will just take it and they and and it enables them to be uh to be to, uh, unuseful maybe but so the most, kid who wants to grow up to be the stockbroker but but, <laughs> right. but most people actually that's not i don't actually think anybody in this room would be happy just being given a life that you didn't have to do something that you didn't get to create something that you didn't get to discover something, that you didn't get to build relationships, that you didn't get to take something on and challenge yourself and fail and have to figure out how to do it better. I agree completely with that. Don't argue with happy, Herman. I'm See what happens? <laughs> See what happens? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We need to see all sides of the coin. I get that, but like with providing them help, aren't you providing them with that? Well, like, no, so like, this is, I mean, like, it's, I mean, it's not being done perfectly. It's not being done perfectly, but it's also right there. What is? Like, exactly what you're uh, just saying. If the help is there? Yeah, the, the, I mean, the help there is, is there. Yeah, so there is, there is an amount of help available. Yeah. I, In yeah. my opinion, there's not enough help available. Absolutely. There there's are, no question about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's, there's no not problem. enough help. There's not enough programs. There's not enough, there's there's not enough of any of that help. stuff. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Yeah, there's not enough help. The money's not in the right places. No, for sure. And it's just, what did you say the last one was? Resources. Resources. Yeah. So, so ultimately, I think like for anyone who is well enough, and this is discounting uh, people who are severely mentally ill, and that is a, a startling percentage of the street population. Yeah. Yeah. But... What I but so what I believe is that people again people what is good for a person is to have someone else believe in them, to have someone else be interested in them. Like what's what what the best thing I can do for you is to be interested in you, 
to believe in you, right? And but but this starts with um, this is a long process. This is a process of relationship building, and it's sometimes building relationship with someone who has never had a safe relationship in their life. Well, it makes sense. I mean, we look for these sort of things in a partner, you know, like in in a relationship, yeah. um, in business, you know, in, 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 in most aspects, you're looking for someone to believe in you and trust you and understand you and, you know, lift you up when you're down and that sort of thing. So it makes sense that these are things that these people need because it seems like that's what everybody needs, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that's makes a, sense to me. And that's a major missing piece when you're homeless, like, and you know that society looks on you as a problem if they, if they look on you at anything as all, at, at, at all, at yeah. all, if they look on you as anything at all, it's a problem. Yeah. And so that's a kind of, and, and that's a, and for most people on the streets, that's a message they've received. That's a dangerous life. weight to put on people's brains. I think. Yeah. And and so and this is like and so I think like Herman is absolutely right about what will help somebody ultimately. But the step between where somebody is right now and where they might be able to take on that that next step, there's something in between. And I'm not sure exactly what it is or how to provide it, but it's like for sure. It's it involves compassion and it involves basic physiological needs being met. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Well, I'm going to cut you off there because <laughs> that's a nice uh, little thing to to, uh, to end on. And uh, for everybody listening, you know, if you're from this area, you know, or any area where you're in, if you can donate to uh, the disenfranchised in your area, whether it be clothing, blankets, socks, like we talked about, or or uh, your time. Whatever you can, everything helps, and um, and uh, bringing awareness to it is so important. And we're so thankful that there's people like you out there happy, oh, and yeah. uh, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit about you and what you do. And uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's we got to get you back on. Yeah, we have to have you back on. Talk more and uh, and and talk about it more. And um, we just really appreciate you. So. Uh, want to say thank you for coming my man thanks jamie yeah. it's, it's good to see all three of you guys yeah. i've missed you guys and it's just it's good to hang out and if this is what it takes to do it i'll come on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's Hell yeah. excuse to hang out right Hell yeah so on behalf of uh the main and hastings crew myself jamie jucifer zach menace big germ and miguel and james we appreciate you thanks again happy take care take care guys